Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. You notice here how they are described, this early church, Paul and Silas and, and the others, how they are described here in verse number six. It says, these that have turned the world upside down. That was their reputation. That preceded them everywhere they went. They were known as those that are turning the world upside down. And we're going to look at that this morning from this passage, turning the world upside down. Because sometimes we think, we get this idea that what they accomplished, what God did through them in the early church, cannot be done today. That, that the things that, that, that they saw happen, the thousands they saw saved, all the churches that were planted, how Christianity spread all across the world at that time, we sometimes think, well, what happened then cannot happen today. But I'm here to tell you that we have the same God that Paul did, that Silas did, that Peter, James, and John did, that those Christians at Ephesus did, and the church at Corinth had, and the church at Rome, and Philippi. Those Christians had the same God that we have today. And what God did through them, God can still do through us today. If you look at the early church and then you compare it, you contrast it with our churches today, there are a lot of differences. As I said, the things that, that uh, we see them do here, that we read about, um, you know, sometimes we look around and think, well, why can't, why aren't we seeing those same things? You know, and given the conditions that they lived in, they should not have been able to, humanly speaking, do what they did. They should not have been able to turn the world upside down. You think about what they, what they didn't have and then what we have today, at the resources that we possess. They would have loved to have what we have today. We truly can reach the whole world in one instant with all the technology that we have and the resources um, at our disposal. So how did they do it? And then why don't we do it today? Why, why do we not see uh, what, uh, what they saw? Because if you think about it, look at our country. Are we turning our country upside down right now for the sake of the gospel? I would say not. And we're going to look at how we can do that once again. Let's look again at verse number one. It says, now when they, and that's Paul and Silas and, and those group of believers there. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, so they go through these two cities, they came to Thessalonica, where it was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, Thessalonica was a major city there in the Macedonia region. Remember that Macedonian call that Paul received? Well, they went to Philippi, that was one city, but Thessalonica was another city there. And, um, you know, you wonder why would they pass through those cities to go to Thessalonica? Well, some commentators sort of view this as, as an example of their pattern. They would go to the major cities of, of the regions uh, that, that God was putting them in. They would go to Rome, Ephesus, uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth. These were major cities in, in that region, in, in those areas. These were large cities, cities of influence, cities that, 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 had, that exerted a certain power over the outlying areas. And if we're going to reach our world again, if we're going to reach this country again, we cannot ignore the major cities. We cannot pass over a New York or a Chicago or an L.A. to go to smaller areas, areas that we might 
think are more church-friendly, because um, no one would describe Los Angeles as a church-friendly city, or New York, or Chicago, or San Francisco, or Seattle. These are not known for being um, bastions of Christianity. You know, this, these are not the Bible Belt. And so, um, I'm afraid that in our day and age, many times, church planters, of which I am now one, sometimes pass over those areas to go to areas that are smaller, maybe more conservative politically, and, and sometimes we might think, well, that area is a little easier to reach, so maybe we'll go there. But we'll pass over the city that has two, three, four million people. I'm excited for what Brother Yap is doing, going to be doing in Hawthorne there. Again, a, a large city in, in a large area. This whole area, you know how, how large it is when it comes to people. But think about this. If you want to shape your culture, if you want to influence your culture, the people that want to influence this country, where do they go? They go to New York, Los Angeles, Chicago. They go to the big cities because that's where the media is. That's where the cultural influence is. And what the early church did is they would go to, to, to major cities because those cities had influence. They would exert influence over the surrounding areas. <clears throat> and you think about the early church. Where, where was the first church? At Jerusalem, a major global city. And if we are going to turn our world upside down, we cannot ignore the big cities. Yes, there's crime. Yes, there's, there's violence, poverty. But areas like that, we cannot ignore those areas. Riverside is the, lar is the largest city in the, in the Inland Empire. Three, over 300,000 people. That's a lot of people. And all across California, there are cities just like that of 100 200, 300,000 people. And maybe they have one church there, Independent Baptist Church, maybe two. Some have none. And so if we are going to turn our world upside down, we can't ignore those areas that are influential, that have an impact on the regions which they're in. We must, as believers, have a zeal and a desire to say, you know what, that's a big city. Yeah, it's going to be hard. In fact, without God, it's going to be impossible. But you know, in, in moments like that, in situations like that, that's where God really comes through. You know why? Because God gets the glory for that. God gets the glory. Not man, but God. So the church began at Jerusalem, again, a major city. But how did it, how did it spread from there? Well, what happened is believers went out and reached people. And look at verses 2 and 3. Once they're there in Thessalonica, it says, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. And I like that phrase, went in unto them. Sometimes we just need to go in unto them. Do we not? So, you know, so often we have this mentality where we just want to kind of hunker down because we're comfortable. We're, you know, we like our church and um, you know, we like our surroundings. But going in unto them can be a little uncomfortable. It can be a little scary, can it not? You, know, you don't have the safety of the walls of the church. So you have to go in unto them. And that's what they did. It says, on three Sabbath days, reason with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. 
as Paul did as his manner was, we need to go unto them. You know, I'm afraid that often our witnessing is, is often reduced to nothing more than a church invite, and there's nothing wrong with that. Continue to do that. But I'm afraid that oftentimes that's all we do. We just say, come to church, come to church. Well, if they're not even saved, why would they want to come to church, <laughs> right? Why would they have a desire to come to the house of God to worship with God's people if they're not a child of God? So the point is to go witness to them so that they can become a Christian, so that they can come to Christ. And we're asking them to come to us when we've been commanded to go to them and to tell them how to be saved. See, the power for us to turn the world upside down is not in our persuasion to get them to come to church. And, you know, and, and just, you know, you know, um, barrage them with church invites over and over and over again. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, if you're doing that, keep that up. Keep it going. But the power is not in that. The power is in the preaching of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And then in 1 Corinthians 1.21, the Bible says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Christian, when was the last time that you preached the cross to somebody? I don't mean that you just gave them a gospel tract. I mean you actually opened your mouth and showed them from the Bible how they can be saved. No doubt we love preaching. I hope that you love preaching. I love preaching. So why don't we do more of it outside of the church? You know, if you look at the book of Acts and you go through it, and I could be wrong, and if I'm wrong, you can correct me, but most of the preaching recorded in Acts was done outside of the context of a church service. It was done out in the streets, preaching the gospel, large crowds, large assemblies uh, to hear the preaching. It was done out there with, with two sinners, uh, two unsaved people. Uh, you know, they were preaching in public spaces. They were going to the markets, to the public square, and they were preaching the gospel to people out in the open. They were street preachers. And when it comes to street preaching, you know, there, there's standing on a corner and just shouting at people and no one's listening. But actually, then there's actually going and talking to people, you know, either one-on-one -on -one or in small groups, but out in the open, out on the street. And that's what they did. And today that's much harder because we live in a culture that is very isolated from each other. You know, we have this thing called social media, but really it's anti-social media. That's what it's made us. We spend so much time on there, on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, got to put out the next post, got to see what they're up to, that we just ignore the world around us. And, and people don't go out and do public spaces anymore especially in this country. We have, we, I fear that we have kind of a unique problem in America. As we have so much creature comfort, comforts, we have our homes, our cars, our televisions, our gadgets, the things that we can do, the places we can go, the entertainment, the amusement that we have. That word amusement is very interesting. Muse means to think. Amuse means not to think. <laughs> 
So amusement is something to get you to not think about anything, but just have fun. And that's what we have in America today. All this fun stuff. All of these things that make it very comfortable. Where you hardly ever have to leave your home except maybe for work and, you know, to buy the things you need. Your air-conditioned home. You've got what you need there. And so when you go knock on a door, and I've experienced this, especially in more upscale neighborhoods, you go knock on a door, and they're home. You know they're home. You can hear them. The TV's on, you hear them walking around, but they never come to the door. They never come. It's hard to find open doors. Open hearts especially are even harder to find. Why? Because of all the stuff that we have distracted ourselves with. And Satan loves it because he has gotten so many people, their minds, to be turned off to anything doing with having to do with God. So there's no God consciousness here. Like there might be in, in, in third world countries where they're lucky if they have running water. No, they're con- and, and it's, you know, the, the, the mortality rate is higher. It might be more dangerous. And so there's always, they're always thinking about mortality, thinking about their eternity. And they don't have all the things we have. So they know they have a need. But you tell someone here in California, especially someone who's made it, you tell them they have a need. And they'll look at you like you're an alien. They don't understand what you're talking about. So it is harder here. So we have to rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Their preaching was done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Too often, we as Christians, we rely on our own power. We rely on the things that we have done. We rely on our buildings or our programs or the technology that we have. We have all this great stuff, and yet often what we lack is the Holy Spirit's power. It's the one thing we really need and yet many times we don't have it. We have everything else. You know, we have our, our church invitation cards, and they look real nice, and we have our website, which looks real nice, and our building, our buildings, which are nice, and, you know, we might have a nice piano. I have my tablet here with my sermon on it, all these great things we have, you know. And we have these great programs that we come up with, but many times what's lacking is the one thing that's needed, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the early church lacked they, don't ha- they didn't have what we have. They had no cars. They walked, or they took a boat, or they, a horse or a donkey. Um, they had no websites. They couldn't tell someone, hey, go visit our website, and you'll find out more about our church. They had no buildings. <laughs> they was, oh, yeah, we meet at this address, and you know, our ser- service times are here, and, you know, they didn't have gospel tracts, you know. Uh, they didn't even have the, the, the completed New Testament, right? They didn't have that. And yet, look how they thrived. I wonder how we would do under those conditions. How would we, how would we, th- how would we do if we had to deal with the same stuff they dealt with and the persecution they dealt with as well? And we'll get to that in just a little bit. But we have all these things, and yet oftentimes we fail. And maybe it's because of all the stuff that we have why we fail many times. Because even the, distra- the same distractions that the world has, we have too. The, things, the same things that keep people from coming to Christ are the same things that keep us from going and telling them about Christ. And so maybe it is all that stuff that, that's causing us to fail because 
we begin to think that the power lies in us and what we have. When the power to save comes only from God and the power to preach the gospel comes from the Holy Spirit. And many people were saved. Look at verse number four. It says, and some of them believed. So they believed the preaching of Paul. And it says, and consorted with Paul and Silas. So they, they joined up with them. They got on board. They became disciples, if you will. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. And of the chief women, not a few. Have you ever wondered, when you read the book of Acts, how so many people were converted? Well, the early church had a very powerful testimony. They lived as if they really believed what God's word says. And they, really, they lived as if they really believed that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. And they lived as if he really did rise from the dead. They really lived as if his resurrection were an absolute truth. See, our problem is many times we don't live that way as Christians. And we don't share the gospel that way many times. You know, many, the unsaved people at that time who interacted with, with the early church looked at them and, and their testimony, uh, their zeal, their absolute conviction that the resurrection was real, that Jesus really did die for our sins, and that the, the gospel is, is life-changing. It is life-changing. And it doesn't just change your eternal destiny. It changes you here in this life as well. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you're a Christian, you should have experienced that, that God's power in your life, and you should, should see changes in your life, victory over sin, doing things that you never thought you'd ever do. I never thought I'd be a preacher. I never thought I, I, I'd be doing what God has called me to do. This would be the last thing I would want to do in my flesh. But by the power of God, I am what I am. But they looked at the early church, many of them, and their testimony, their faithfulness, their dedication in the face of, of all the obstacles they, they experienced. And they said, how can we not? Look at them. Look at their faithfulness. They really believe this, don't they? And many came to Christ because of their powerful testimony but the problem with us today is many people look at us and think why the problem is we don't stick out enough many times as christians too often we blend right in to our surroundings and we fit right in to our culture we fit right in to the world that we're in and we need, we need to, as believers, we need to stand out more than we do. And I know personally, for me, this is also true. I need to stand out more than I do. Too oftentimes, we just blend right in. And we get so comfortable that, that we're indistinguishable from the world. You know, I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had to make a stand for God. And when Nebuchadnezzar made that decree that everyone was to bow down and worship the image which he had set up. And there in the plain of Dura, and a plain is, you know, not a flat, flat area of land. So when everyone bowed down, when those three young Hebrew boys remained standing, when, when they stood up, 
You could see it, literally. Hey, those guys aren't bowing down. So they stood out by standing up. They, 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 they did not fit in with the crowd. And they had a powerful testimony. You get to the end of Daniel chapter 3, and you read what Nebuchadnezzar said. It's unbelievable. They changed the heart of the king because of their testimony. They stood up for God, and they stood out from the crowd. Too often we go along with the crowd, and we know we shouldn't. We know it's not right. We know we should take a stand for God, and yet many times we're afraid to. And so we have no testimony. But their testimony of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, by standing up for God, they changed the heart of the king. And he went from commanding people to worship an image to then saying that if anybody says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will suffer consequences. It was a complete 180, a complete U-turn. He went one, from one direction to the other. King Nebuchadnezzar did. Why? Because of their testimony. And there was nothing special about them. Again, the same God that they had is the same God that we have. So we can have the same kind of testimony that they did. What makes this hard is that most people are unwilling to change, are they not? Most people will not admit that they're wrong. It's hard. That's one of the hardest things for any person to do, is say, I was wrong. But that is the gospel ministry. We are going to people and telling them, what you have believed is wrong. Your sin condemns you to hell. That is not an easy message. That is a very unpopular message today in our culture it runs completely contrary to what the culture says today. The idea of sin and, and the idea of consequences for your sin, the idea uh, of hell, the idea uh, that God is holy and, and that holiness is a good thing. Um, that is not our culture today in this country. And because it's so contrary, the gospel is, to our culture today, we are sometimes afraid to confront the culture with the gospel. We're afraid of what the potential response might be. We're fearful of what they might say to us or say about us or think about us or even what they might potentially do to us. But this early church, they were not afraid of what would happen to them. Look at verse 5 through 7. It says, But the Jews which believed not moved with envy took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. So you see there that their reputation preceded them. These uh, Jews here who um, were trying to stop them from what they were doing, stop the church from, from getting the gospel out, they heard about what had happened in other cities. 
They heard about Philippi and, and other areas as well. They heard about what was going on. And they, they called them and said, they said, these that have turned the world upside down have also come here. They've come hither also. So these believers, these Christians, everywhere they go, things change. The cities change. They turn the world upside down, and now they're here too. And they didn't like that. They didn't want them there. And there is a, a promise from Scripture that many times we don't want to grab a hold of. And that is in 2 Timothy 3.12, which says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That is a promise. God said, if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you will experience some kind of persecution in this life. You know, a powerful testimony provokes a response from the world. When you live in such a way and, and, and you speak in such a way that people must take notice, uh, they're going to respond one way or another. Every interaction you have, the way that you behave, the way that you talk to people, you ought to leave someone with this thought. Well, I either can believe that or I can reject it. But give them the opportunity. Leave them with the chance uh, to either receive it or reject it. We have to wonder why for us we don't have this impact because we don't experience any real persecution here. You know, we don't experience what they did. You know, we're not thrown in prison, beaten within an inch of our lives. Um, you know, there are those that don't like what we do, don't like what we believe, but I've never been beaten for preaching the gospel. I have never been imprisoned for it, never even been threatened with it, ever, for preaching the gospel. But they were on a daily basis. Every single day, they would go out to preach the gospel. They didn't know, are we going to be arrested today? Are we going to be beaten? Are we going to be murdered for this? They didn't know, and yet they continued to preach the gospel. So, but they not only reached their cities, they changed their cities. And I want to emphasize that. They didn't just preach the gospel there. Everywhere they went, when they left, it was different. Think about that. Philippi wasn't the same when Paul and Silas left that prison. There was a church there. They left a church behind there in Philippi. Thessalonica wasn't the same. When Paul and Silas left there, there was a church there. Rome wasn't the same. Jerusalem, Antioch. Ephesus, Corinth, all these places, they were not the same when their ministry was done. Whatever ministry you have as a believer, let me encourage you that things would not be the same when and if you leave, that it would be better and things would be changed for the glory of God. But, you know, too many of us as Christians, we have become passive, not active as believers. We just sit back and watch things happen rather than, than being active and even being proactive and getting out there and being involved. Let me encourage you, there isn't a believer here today in, gathered in this room who God does not want to use to do what we see in the book of Acts. No, no, you're not a pastor or called to be a preacher in that sense. But every single one of you, you have a part in turning the world upside down. You have a role to play 
and not just by giving money, although that is important, not just by giving money so that missionaries can go all across the world. No, you have a role right here in Gardena, in, in the South Bay. You have a role in this area. You have a responsibility to reach your area with the gospel. See, God's not called me here. He's called you here. You're here. This is the area that God wants you to reach. And if he's calling you somewhere else, let me encourage you to be obedient and go to that next place wherever God's calling you to go. But too many of us just sit back and watch things happen. And God never intended for the church to be like that. I'll say this. I don't know how this will go over, but sitting in a pew is not a ministry. Sitting in a pew prepares you as you hear the word of God preached and as God stirs your heart, it prepares you to go do ministry. And whatever ministry that might be, whatever ministry God has for you. But there's one ministry that we all have, regardless of of, uh, uh, who we are, regardless of our spiritual gifts, regardless of our talents. That ministry is the gospel ministry. We all have that ministry. But if we are going to change the world, we must confront the world with the gospel. And we also must separate ourselves from the world. Separation is important. Separating from the things of the world. Remember this, what your Bible says, we cannot be friends with the world and friends with God. If we will be a friend of the world, then we will be an enemy of God. And I do not want to be an enemy of God. I do not want to be on God's bad side. But too many of us are that way. Too many believers have chosen the things of the world. And you look here uh, at the end of the passage here, there's an accusation made against Paul and Silas. The accusation is, well, they're coming here to overthrow Caesar. They're coming to overthrow Rome. That wasn't why Paul was there. So you have to be careful. We're not going to an area, we're not going to Riverside to overthrow the government, to change the politics of the region. We're going there to see people saved, to see them baptized and discipled. That's why we're going there. And if their politics change for the better, praise the Lord. But that's not why we're there. But that was the accusation when they said, well, they say these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, one Jesus. Now, obviously, Jesus is king of kings, and he is Lord of lords, and that was their message, that Jesus is king above all kings. He is a savior of the world. But they were not going there to overthrow Caesar. That wasn't Paul's ministry. It wasn't a political ministry. They were there to preach the gospel so that people would be saved. That was their ministry. We always must keep that in the forefront of our minds. Our ministry is the gospel. It is not so that everyone can become a conservative and vote a certain way so that our state will change. This state will not change even if we elect a Republican governor if people remain unsaved. Because unsaved people do what unsaved people do. Lost people will do what they do. What's going to change California for the better and for the glory of God is the gospel going out and people receiving it. 
That is what's going to change California. And the problems that we face here in this state and, and the frustrations that we have, if we want to see those changed, we need to make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing, which is the gospel. As we knock doors, as we go out into our communities and interact with people every single day, that we are being a gospel witness, a gospel influence. The early church had a boldness, which too many of us lack today. They were just right there in the open, confronting people in love with the gospel. See, the problem with us is that we are too comfortable many times with where we are. Are we not? I know for me this is true, and you probably would say the same thing, that sometimes we just get too comfortable with where we are, with the way things are, and we get kind of settled. You know, we get settled in our homes, in our churches, settled in, in a job or career, whatever that might be, settled in our families. Everything is just nice and calm, you know, and, and we're settled. And we like where we are. Well, the problem is God never intended the church to just be settled. The problem is stuff that's settled is it doesn't move, right? What God wants to do with us is to shake us up and stir us up and move us because that's how the church grows. That's how the gospel spreads. What if that church at Jerusalem never left Jerusalem? Where would we be today? There'd be no Antioch. There'd be no church there. There'd be no church at Philippi, Thessalonica. Why? Because Paul was sent out of Antioch. So what if there was no church at Antioch? Well, there wouldn't have been a church at Antioch if the church at Jerusalem hadn't gotten up and, and left and said, you know, we, we got to go. God commanded us to go. It's time to go. And they, they were never settled. They were always uncomfortable, really. Many times they didn't know, okay, where's our next meal coming from? Where, where's, where are we going to sleep tonight? They didn't know that, many of them. And to turn the world upside down, as God intended for us to do as Christians, we need to get shaken up a little bit and stirred up and moved again by God. We need to be that pliable clay in His hands. He is the potter. We are the clay. In high school, I took pottery, and many of you might know pottery. So to get that clay to do what you want, you've got to get it soft, right? Well, God wants us to be soft, movable, pliable, so that He can do with us what He wants. The problem is too many of us are so hard. We're so hardened, you know, especially when we get comfortable. We get hard to the things of God. Oh, we're faithful in church. We have a ministry. Uh, we love our pastor, you know, we love missions. We love missionaries. We, we go soul winning, but what God is really stirring our hearts to do, we don't want to do that because that requires us to get a little uncomfortable out of our comfort zone. And I tell you, for the gospel to go forward, for us to turn the world upside down, we have to get outside of our comfort zones. Too many of us have constructed a box in our lives, and we will not leave that box. And that box might be made up of our church, our family, career, whatever it might be. 
and we build these boxes and we go into them and they're comfortable for us and they're safe. It's a safe space for us. And we feel good in it. But God says, I'll get out of there. And that's too scary for many of us. But this early church, if you read through the book of Acts, it's amazing how different the differences that they experienced than what we do today. And you look at them always on the move, never settled, never comfortable. Because here's the thing, God never called us and he never promised us that we would be comfortable. He, there's no verse that says, you will be comfortable as a Christian. You will have no problems as a believer. No, God never promised that. In fact, he promised the opposite. He said, in the world you shall have tribulation. <laughs> he said, but I have overcome the world. And we can turn our world upside down if we would just follow the example here we find in the book of Acts. By getting ourselves up and out and allowing God to use us however he sees fit. Let's get unsettled for God.